We're talking about the war within. Paul uses Jewish marital customs to help us understand the spiritual forces that battle within us by way of review. Verses we've looked at, looked at over the past weeks. Paul writes, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage, law of her husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is freed from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. It seems like he's talking about marriage, but that's not really his focus. His focus is using marital customs to help us understand our relationship with God. We can relate to God as under an old covenant, and we can relate to God as under a new covenant. And that's what Paul is really trying to help us to understand. We can look at it this way, um, being under the authority of the law of Moses that existed prior to Christ coming is to be awfully wedded and to be under old covenant divine vows. Um, being under the authority of the new covenant <clears throat> is to be happily married. So the question becomes, how do we go from one to the other? How do we go from being awfully wedded to being happily married? How do we go from being under the authority of the old covenant to being under the authority of the new? And here's where Jesus comes in. It says, likewise, my brother, you also died to the law, to the body of Christ. So what it means, as Christ died, we can die with him. And dying with him is what allows us to come out from under the authority of the law, because that only can happen through death. And if Jesus dies, and if his death is kind of put to our account, then his death is a death that we experience, and we can come out from under the authority of the old and come under the authority of the new. It says, likewise, my brother, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit to God. Death allows us to belong to him who was raised from the dead. So we might look at it this way. The way we can go from awfully wedded to happily married is to be lawfully widowed. That's what Jesus comes to do so that we can be divorced as it were or widowed from the old and married to the new. Um, Paul writes, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And we started to talk about this last week. It's very controversial, it was extremely controversial at the time, because what Paul is suggesting is that the law is what holds us captive. That's very difficult to understand, and that's what he's going to try to point out. Does that mean that the law is bad? And it does not mean that the law is bad. However, Jesus died so that we might 
be free from the old way of the written code. And what we talked about is the war within. And here's what this passage is pointing out. It's really about our relationship with the old and new covenant. That's what allows us to wage the war within effectively or ineffectively. Um, we talked about it this way. Why did Jesus die? And this gets right down to the question of why did Jesus die? Jesus died to terminate our relationship with the old covenant so that we could no longer be awfully wedded. And he rose to initiate our relationship with the new covenant. Again, we talk about this fairly frequently, and it really is very difficult to understand how controversial this was when Paul said it, when Paul wrote it. He would have, Paul would have believed that he was raised to believe that God's law is the solution, as many of us were raised to believe. Um, we are taught that there's a good impulse and a bad impulse, and we're taught how to feed the good impulse and how to starve the bad impulse. If we feed the good impulse, we do good things. If we starve the bad impulse, we don't do bad things. And and what we hear is what kind of what Paul might have heard. He would have heard that the more of the Bible that you put into your mind, the more at that time of the Old Testament that you memorized and understood, the more that Bible was in your mind, the better able you would be to gratify the good and not to gratify the bad. Um, and that's why Paul gave himself full time to being a scholar of the Bible. And what Paul is writing here, he was raised to believe that God's law is the solution. And what he's saying here, here he reveals that God's law is the problem. And again, this would have been scandalous at the time. Blasphemous. It would have been no wonder he was beat up as much as he was beat up. But this is what he said so far in the book of Romans. He uh, says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Law identifies sin. I've said this before. Um, some of us, we grew up, in, in school, we were given, I was given a piece of gum to chew. This piece of gum, when I was in elementary school, you chewed it and it, and it stained your cavities blue. And so you, you chew this gum because it identifies the cavities you had. Now the, now the gum didn't help your cavities. It just, you open your mouth and then the teacher looks in and says, okay, we have a little bit of blue there, Mikey. It's time to get to the dentist. So, and the blue, and that's what kind of the law does. The law doesn't fix sin, but it identifies it. It isolates it. And so that's one thing that Paul says. The reason the law, what the impact of the law is, it shows us sin. Not just that, though. Look what it says here. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. And that really is what that word means. The word increase in the Greek means to increase, to make more of it. So the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that 
as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the law increases sin. And not just that, we saw last week, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work on our members to bear fruit for death. The law inflames sin. So the law identifies, increases, and inflames sin. And if we hear that, what's our natural assumption? The law is bad, right? If the law identifies sin and increases sin and inflames sin, then the law must be bad. And what Paul's going to say, no, that's not, that's not where we should land. Uh, look what he says as we go into the verse for this week. What should we say then? Is the law sin? And we understand why it asks the question. If the law does all these bad things, then the law must be the problem. And he says, no, that's not the issue. Look what he says. Certainly not. I would not have known what sin was except through the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Now, look what it says here. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Uh, the commandment, do not covet, actually produce coveting. It produces coveting. And what, it, uh, what he's saying is that the law stimulates the very behaviors it prohibits. Um, this seems confusing. When it says sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produce in me every kind of covetous desire. Sin here, Paul doesn't is not thinking of sin as an action, but sin as a power. Sin with a capital S and a crown on its head. There is something that increases the dominion of sin in our lives. The dominion of sin is a power. And when sin is the power, it drives you to do things that are against the law of God that might land you in unrighteousness. You might do unrighteous things or self-righteous things. And in Jesus' day, those who were self-righteous were even more immune to Jesus' influence than those who were unrighteous. Jesus didn't have much problem dealing with sinful people, immoral people, but he had a very difficult time cracking a Pharisee. So there is sin manifests itself either in unrighteousness or self-righteousness. And it says sin uses the commandment as a beachhead. And that's the image here. Sin, seeking to seize control and master us, uses something as a beachhead. You know what a beachhead is. It's when you're invading a foreign government or a foreign soil. You establish a place that you can insert and bring your forces so that they can move in and sweep into a country. That's what sin does. Sin uses the commandment as a beachhead. So once the commandment is in your mind, don't covet. Sin uses that awareness as a beachhead to produce all kinds of coveting. That's the way sin works. It works as a power. 
When Paul, again, talks about sin, he is talking about a ruling power. Sin is a power, not merely an act. Interestingly, sin is not something we choose to do. Now, sin can be that, but what Paul is talking about here is not that sin is something that we choose, but something that chooses us and seeks to control us. And and so this is, it's kind of like what it says in Genesis when the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. The word desires to have you, literally, it desires to mate with you. It desires to control you, to come into a possessive relationship. Would you agree sin here is not just an action? It's a power that seeks to dominate. Where does sin draw strength from to control us? That's the question. Sin is powerful as a power that, that manipulates and controls and masters. Where does sin draw its power? Would you agree that's an important question to ask? We've been talking about COVID. We've been dealing with COVID for about two and a half years. And I think we're all aware of, in the heyday, what it is that causes COVID to to get to be within us. And we had to watch out. We had to wear masks. And we don't do it as much anymore. But there was all these things that we really... What is it that causes sin to take control of us? And what it says in the Bible, in Romans 7.10? And I'm not even going to show it because it's just seven words. I bet you seven words that I bet you'll be able to remember. For apart from law, sin is dead. For apart from law, sin is dead. You remember those seven words? You know what it tells you? What those words tell us, what gives sin its power? Apart from law, sin is dead. You know what that means? Law is to sin what spinach is to Popeye. What spinach to Popeye? It's what gives him power. It's what gives him strength. Law is to sin what spinach is to Popeye. Law gives sin strength, power, dominion. Uh, that's what that's what Paul is saying here. Law might seem like an easy foe to vanquish. You know, the law of Moses, you know. So as long as we don't slit the throat of goats, and as long as we don't do stuff that they did back there, we're, they we're okay, and it's not really a difficult foe. And what Paul's going to indicate, it's really tricky, very easy for us to be deceived. Look what Paul says. Once I was alive apart from the law. What that means, Paul was alive spiritually. He was already living physically. Once I was alive apart from the law means he was alive spiritually. He was believing in Jesus. Now what's going to happen here? Paul's going to get deceived. 
after he became a Christian, and this deception is going to kill him spiritually. I didn't stay dead, but look what it says. Once I was apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life. It literally is sin sprang to life again, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me, and through it put me to death. David, I'm going to borrow you. Come on up. So, here's, here's how this deception occurs. Jiu-jitsu is something that you use the force of something someone's doing to try to, to, to try to control them. So, David, I want you to pretend you're going to kind of throw a slow punch at me. Now, what jiu-jitsu would do is I will take the force of David's blow and use that to control him. And so here's what it is. So let's pretend that I am sin. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to come to David. <laughs> yeah, he's going to take spinach and be Popeye, and I'm Brutus, and then I'm done. So I'm going to say, okay, David, you know, you're doing pretty well, but you know what? You'd be even more useful to God if you gave more and tithed more. And so, come on, David, so why don't you tithe more, give more? What, what the law does uses David's desire to do that and flips him and is going to go, thanks, David. <laughs> You're not that tough. <laughs> um, and that was the seduction. And what I think what Paul would have heard is something like this. Paul, you're really useful to God. Imagine how much more useful you would be if you were even more devoted than you are. Imagine how happy you would be, holy you would be, if you kept more of the commandments. And Paul came to a place in his life where he said, okay, I guess I believe that. And at that point, sin, using the commandment, did kind of what I threw Paul, and he found himself flat in his back. Now, when Paul's flat in his back, what did that look like for Paul? I, I don't think he, he went out and had a sexual affair. What, it, what happened, though, is sin became more powerful, and it probably dropped him in an unrighteous, in a self-righteous place. But that's, but at any rate, sin became more powerful in Paul, and um, he then understood this and saw what was happening. I think it's hard for us to see what when we are under the control of sin as a power, because it's not just about sinful actions. It's about an attitude. It can be unrighteous, but it can also be self-righteous. <laughs> look at you and look at me. And so we compare ourselves to others. What do we take from this couple of things? Number one, sin is a virulent, destructive organism that lives inside of us. Sin is a virulent, destructive organism that lives inside of us. It's dormant until it comes under the influence of something. Do you remember those seven words? For apart from, 
apart from sin is dead. It's dormant until law is introduced, and then it kind of eats the papa, eats the spinach, and becomes powerful and strong. Um, so what that means then, when we entertain the law of Moses, the old covenant, as God's word for today, sin grows and multiplies. And it's almost impossible to avoid teaching in our day that applies the Old Covenant to today. It's almost impossible to avoid it. Every place you turn, every time you hear a message or turn on the radio, it's going to suggest that God will love you and he'll love you even more if you that he'll bless you if you, and he'll curse you if. And again, I told you this story, but I mention it because I think it shows just how difficult it is to combat this. It was in seminary, a seminary close to here, about 15, 20 years ago. And a pastor, a professor got up front and said, okay, students, there was about this many, about a room full of students. Says, how many of you will believe that the curses in the Old Testament are relevant to Christians today. Every single person raised their hand except one. What does that mean? Every single person believed all covenant curses were relevant for today. And that's in a seminary. There was one guy who came to hope. And he didn't put his hand up. And what he indicated is what we, eh, off by a covenant. And understood it. One out of it, one out of a room full. So what I'm saying, I'm not, and my point is, my point in saying that, it's almost impossible to avoid teaching that applies the old covenant to today. Let me ask you a question. We're not going to have a discussion, but let me get you to think. What kind of things do you hear in church that, in some way apply that the old covenant is relevant to today? Think of any? How about teaching that if you obey God, you'll be more wealthy, you'll be more blessed. Will that come from the old covenant to the new? Old prosperity theology, that if you obey, God will make you richer. That comes from the old. Do you, ever, do you hear that any place? All over the place. Um, this is a tough one. We've taken a strong stand since the very beginning. Tithing. Is tithing for today? Giving is. The command to tithe comes from the Old Testament. And I believe that the command to tithe died when Jesus did. Now, does that mean no giving? Because if you didn't give, we couldn't exist. But we have never and will never use Old Covenant commands that would lead you to believe that if you tithe, God will give more and more back. That's No, we can't do that because that introduces law into the place. And law is not a thing you want to introduce into a room full of Christians, if you can help it. And another thing, well, yeah. God separates from you when you sin, right? You heard that? 
God separates from you when you sin. Is that new covenant or old? Old! All these things are old. And what I'm saying, it's almost impossible to avoid this. Okay, so what what are we going to say? It's hard. Well, it really is like trying to avoid COVID, isn't it? It almost gets tiring to try. You know what I mean? We've been fighting COVID. It's even tougher to try to avoid teaching that applies the old covenant to today. A couple of things by way of um, application. If you can, tune out old covenant teaching. This is going to be very difficult. Say yes to the truth and no. When you're listening, when you're reading a book, when you're listening to Christian radio, when you're listening to messages, almost I, I almost was going to make one of these, you know, a mask. Wear a law mask, you know, that kind of screens out law-based particles so that they hook them in. They, and by the way, law masks don't exist. Um, but thinking that way, think about, is this from the new or is this from the old? And if it's from the old, then just, eh. um, that's not going to do it, though, along. Tune in New Covenant teaching. This would be the biggest thing. We can't extricate ourselves from the kind of thinking that law, law makes sense to us. And so the more you grasp New Covenant teaching, God's commitments, His promises, the more you grasp that, that is like, it's like spiritual immunity. It allows you to not get the disease. The more you understand the new covenant, the more you hear it and it makes sense to you, the more able you will be to say no to the old and say yes to the no. That's why we'll continue to talk about this. And again, you've heard new covenant versus old covenant. How we say we talk about it all the time. I never heard about it growing up. And you know what? That's not okay. Because our relationship with the old and new covenant is what makes or breaks the war within. You understand what I'm saying? This is absolutely necessary. It's not optional. This is what enables us to win or lose the war within. It's our relationship with the covenants. If we imagine that we're under the old, we lose the war within. That's what Paul is saying. Oh, and one final thing relative to something you can practice. And I would encourage this. I talked about it last week. I'm not going to talk about it a lot. Practice New Covenant confession. I was, I was taught growing up, raised in the church where I would go and I'd tell the priest my sins and and then I could get God in my life. You know, So I'd tell the priest my sins and once I got cleaned off, you know, with and it gave the priest my sins. Then I could go and get God into my mouth. I could receive communion the next day. And that's the way I saw it. I said, okay, God, here is all the bad things I did. And I know you've been separated from me and I can't have communion. I can't have you in me when I have sin in me. So I have to get rid of the sin in the confessional so you can come in me the next morning. That's the way I grew up. That's the way, that's the way I understood it. You got to that, right? It might not be exactly the same thing, but that's what it was for me. And um, you know what confession means? Say the same thing as. So what I basically was saying, God, sin separates me from you. Please, God, forgive this sin. And thanks for forgiving it. Now we're all set. And um, 
Well, confession means to say the same thing as what I've learned is that I don't confess. We don't confess to get forgiven. We've already been forgiven. You know why we confess? To make sure we get out from under the old covenant. That's why we confess. What I suggest you do when you confess your sin, I don't care what you do. What if you, let's say, you really go road rage. You know what I mean? Some of you, some of us are road ragers, and so you cut this person, you flip on the bird. Maybe you don't flip on the bird, but inside. there's some of us. I see the smiling ones. I see the ones that are, they're kind of, this would be kind of, <laughs> David's kind of, <laughs> uh, so let's say that's your deal. And so you, you curse this person off. What you say, you know, God, I really don't like it when I lose my, my temper like that. And that's part of it. But not, so please forgive me. I think he already does what I'd say. Dad, even though I did that, thanks that you're still in me. Because you say you put your law in my mind and write it on my heart. Thanks that you're still with me. Because you said that I'm going to be your child and I'm going to know you. And good is ahead of me because you will not remember, you'll be helios to my unrighteousnesses and remember my sins no more. And that this is guaranteed because it's part of the new covenant. And Jesus died to take you under the old and put you under new. Would you agree? This is a way better place to be under the new covenant. Under the old covenant, that's a place where sin is impossibly powerful. Now, all of us are going to wrestle with this. You can't, but you know what I'm going to ask you to do? Let's fight this battle together. Let's fight this. Let's try to become more clear about what the new covenant means, and little by little, so that our thinking will be aligned with it. Let's embrace the new covenant. Would you agree? Let's do that. Let's hold on to it. Let's try to understand it, because the more we embrace the new covenant, it sucks us out of the old. And what we will do, we'll continue to talk about it and remind ourselves about it, because it is pivotal to dealing with the war within. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, thank you for Paul and for his, his boldness, his clarity to say things that would have been slanderous at the time, but true. Thank you that he spoke them so clearly, and I pray that we would understand them and apply them. pray that we would be more sensitive as the years go by to Old Covenant teaching and turn away from it. I pray that we would be more aware of new covenant teaching and tune into it. And as we deal with misbehaving, I'd ask that we would remember what your promises are, that even when we sin, we do something wrong. You're still in us, still with us, good ahead of us, guaranteed, because that's what the new covenant promises. Thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.